to Jude this evening. <coughs> Book of Jude. Jude, and we'll begin reading from verse 8 this evening. <coughs> Read, likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. For these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what, what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots." Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Let's just open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you, Lord, for, once again, the opportunity to come and spend time around your word. Lord, I pray that this evening as we continue to study the book of Jude, that, Lord, you would give us wisdom and understanding. That, Lord, you would empower me now through your Holy Spirit. Pray, Lord, that everything I say this evening would be your words and your thoughts, Lord, and that you would take your word and uh, you would apply it to our hearts and lives. May we receive blessing uh, and instruction from your word. And may we get, uh, gain understanding, Lord, of your word is what we pray. And pray you bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we've repeatedly seen, the book of Jude is all about Jude exhorting us as believers to earnestly contend for the faith. I mean, that's his whole purpose. That's the whole reason he writes this letter. I mean, uh, verse tells us that. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And so this is his purpose. This is the whole goal of the book. It's to uh, instruct and exhort us as believers to earnestly contend for the faith, to stand for the faith. And the reason that we are instructed to contend for the faith is clear. It's because of these false teachers, these apostates who have entered into the church and are seeking to undermine the faith, undermine the work of God. And so dangerous are these men to the faith and to the church that Jude spends a lot of time describing these men. He spends an awful lot of this, this book just going round and round almost describing what these men are like and how these men act, and the fact that God will judge them. You know, in verse 4, we saw that these men were characterized as being ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, an excuse to sin. And he also said that they denied who Christ is. In verses 5 to 7, he went on to use examples from the Old Testament, demonstrating how God has dealt with apostasy or unbelief and rebellion in the past, and he uses the examples of Israel, fallen angels, and Sodom and Gomorrah. And then last time we saw three more characteristics of these apostates in verses 8 to 10, where we read that they defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. 
You know, now as we come to verse 11, you know, you might begin to think that Jude is finally finished. You know, that he's going to move on. He's described these men. Surely now he's finished describing these men. We, we know what they're like. Surely he's going to move on from here. What we find is that Jude is not finished. Far from it. He's got a lot more to say yet about these apostates, these false teachers. And so he continues on to describe these men, identifying how they act and their actions and also condemning them and, you know, the fact that God will judge these men. And so we find here in verse 11 that once again, Jude turns our attention to the Old Testament. As he did in verses 5 to 7, he now turns our attention to the Old Testament, but this time he points out for us three individual men. Now, last time he looked at groups. He looked at Israel, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the fallen angels. He looked at groups. This time he singles out three men. And he says that the apostates have followed the examples of these three ungodly men. And he begins verse 11 by saying, Woe unto them. Woe unto them. He exclaims this. He almost shouts it. Woe unto them. Alas, unto them, unto these men. And the reason Jude could say this is because Jude knew these men were condemned. Jude knew that these men were going to be judged by God. They would suffer the consequences of their sin. And so he exclaims, woe unto them. And he knew this because of the example that they followed. And that's what he goes on to say in the rest of the verse. He knew that they were judged. He knew that they were condemned because of the example they followed. They followed the example of these three ungodly men. And so I want us to look at these three this evening and they help us to identify these apostates. They give us another aspect of these men and they also help us to stand against them. So notice firstly in verse 11, we see that they go in the way of Cain. In verse 11 it says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Now Jude begins by saying that these men have followed the example of Cain. Have gone in the way of Cain. Now, Cain, of course, was the very first criminal recorded in the Word of God, the very first murderer. And so, Cain is not an example to be followed. He's not someone that, you know, we should run out and look to and set up on a pedestal to follow. But these apostates follow the example of Cain, they follow the ways of Cain. And so, what exactly is it about these men that reflects the conduct of Cain? What, what example are they following here? Well, let's consider Genesis chapter 4, if you would. So let's turn over there, Genesis chapter 4, where we find the story of Cain recorded. Genesis chapter 4, and we'll just begin reading from verse 1. It says, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she bare again his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the first things of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell, and the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. 
am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. And the tillest the ground shall not henceforth yield unto, unto thee her strength, a fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And we could keep reading on, but we'll stop there. Now here we have the story of Cain. I'm sure we all know the story of Cain and Abel well. You know, both sons bring an offering unto the Lord at the appointed time. They come to offer unto the Lord um, of their produce of what they have. You know, Abel brings of the first things of his flock. So he brings a, a lamb, he brings a blood sacrifice, an animal sacrifice unto the Lord. Cain, on the other hand, brings of the fruit of the ground, brings produce unto the Lord. The Bible tells us that Abel's sacrifice is accepted, and Abel is accepted, but Cain's sacrifice, and Cain is rejected by Almighty God. And this, of course, causes Cain to become extremely angry and to become jealous of his brother, so much so that he murders his own brother. He commits the first murder recorded in the Word of God. You know, as we consider the example of Cain, we can't go past, first of all, examining his sacrifice. Examining what his sacrifice is here. Why is it that Cain's sacrifice, Cain's worship of God, was so unacceptable? In Genesis 3.21, we read this. It says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now, Genesis 3.21, here's the Lord setting in place the principle of a covering for sin. As Adam and Eve are covered by these, these coats made from the skins of these animals. You know, God put in place his method of salvation. God put in place his method of atonement in Genesis 3.21 as God slays the animals to provide a covering for Adam and Eve. You know, but by this, God made it clear that an animal sacrifice was required, that a, a blood sacrifice was required. And Cain knew this. Cain understood this just like Abel understood this. You know, he's raised by Adam and Eve, and I'm sure Adam and Eve taught their sons this truth. They would have instructed their sons as to what God expected as an offering for sin. God expected an animal sacrifice with the blood being shed. You know, Cain chose to reject God's sacrifice, God's method, and do things his own way. And so instead he brings of the fruit of the ground a sacrifice which is totally insufficient to cover his sins. Essentially what Cain does is he tries works salvation. And that's what it boils down to. Cain is trying his own method. Cain rejects the divinely appointed method and tries to do it his own way. You know, Hebrews 11 verse 4 indicates to us that Cain's heart was also not right with God. Hebrews 11 Turn over there, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it uh, he being dead, yet speaketh. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. The point is that Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. And he offered the right kind of sacrifice. Cain offered the wrong kind of sacrifice and he didn't offer it by faith. See, Cain's heart was not right before the Lord. He didn't come by faith. If Cain was coming by faith, he would have brought the right sacrifice. He would have come with the right heart attitude. 
towards God and towards what God expected of him. And this was the difference between the two brothers. You know, Cain, sorry, Abel brings a sacrifice by faith in obedience to God. Cain brings a sacrifice by unbelief in disobedience to God. And that's the difference between the two brothers. And you see, Jude tells us that these apostates go in the way of Cain. They follow the example of Cain. And so the example of Cain would seem to be the way of unbelief, the way of dead, empty religion. You see, the way of Cain is a religion that is without faith. It's a religion of works or our own methods, our own devices. It's salvation in something other than faith in Christ alone. That's what Cain is trying to do. He's trying to do things his own way, without faith, trying to do it by his own method. And so that's the example that these apostates are following after. But not only that, Cain also, in anger, persecuted the righteous. 1 John chapter 3, turn over there. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12. It says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Now, 1 John 3 verse 12 makes it clear that the reason Cain rose up and slew his brother was because his brother was righteous. He slew Abel because Abel was accepted by God, because Abel was, in the eyes of God, righteous. And Cain was jealous. Cain didn't like this. So Cain rises up and kills his own brother, murders his brother. And so the way of Cain would seem to be not only empty, dead religion, but also persecution of the righteous, persecution of the godly. And so Jude tells us that this is how these apostates act. They follow in the way of Cain. You see, these men, these apostates, these false teachers, prevented into the church, these men teach something other than the truth. They teach and preach an empty, dead religion. That salvation is by some other method than faith in Christ alone. And not only that, they also persecute those who have the truth. They stand against the truth. They stand against those who have accepted Christ. You know, as we look back through history, the classic example that stands out off the pages of history is the Roman Catholic Church. You see, the Roman Catholic Church is an apostate church. They do not have the truth. They do not teach the truth. They preach and teach an empty, dead religion. And they persecuted the righteous. You know, you look back through the, the ages with all the inquisitions and the burning of people at the stake, it was all about persecuting those who held to the true faith, among others. But those who were held to the true faith were persecuted. And so the Roman Catholic Church epitomizes what Jude is speaking about here. Those who have gone in the way of Cain. Indeed, a dead, empty religion is dangerous. Because you see, those who follow that religion are being led straight into hell. It's an empty religion dead religion. Turn to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse 15, Christ speaking about the Pharisees here. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, and pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Now, Christ, speaking about the, the Pharisees here, says that 
by their doctrine, their false teaching, they were leading men into hell. They were making them twofold the child of hell. So the point is, that's what empty dead religion does. It gives men false hope. And that's what these apostates do. These apostates, by their false doctrine, their false teaching, give men false hope and make other people apostates, leading them straight into hell. Now, as we've seen before, 2 Timothy 3 verse 5, Paul warns us about these people. They have a form of godliness and he says that we are to stay away from them. He says, from such, turn away. We don't avoid these kind of men who follow in the way of Cain. Secondly, we are told that they also follow the error of Balaam. We go back to verse 11 of Jude. We read, it says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. You see, not only do these false teachers, these apostates, follow in the way of Cain, teaching a dead, empty religion and persecuting the righteous, but these men also after the error of Balaam for reward. Now, the story of Balaam is found in Numbers 22 to 25 and also in chapter 31. And so we're not going to turn there and try and read it all. Okay, we don't have time to read the whole story of Balaam this evening. So we're going to have to summarize the events. Essentially, what happens is after coming out of the land of Egypt and the children of Israel are wandering towards the promised land, they've defeated the Amorites along the way and they come to Moab. Okay, they come to the border of Moab. And as the Israelites come near, the king of Moab, Balak, seeks the help of a prophet named Balaam. He seeks the help. He wants Balaam to come and to prophesy against Israel, to curse Israel. And so he sends a delegation to Balaam. And when this, this delegation arrives, they exhort him. They say, come with us. Come and, you know, curse Israel. And Balaam seeks the Lord's will at first, and God tells him plainly, don't go with these men. Just turn over to Numbers 22. I'm not going to read all of it, we'll just read a couple of verses here. <clears throat> Numbers 22, in verse 12 here, it says, And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And so God tells Balaam categorically, You're not to go with them, you're not to curse my people because God's people are blessed. And Balaam at first obeys. He refuses to go with them. What happens is, but the king won't take no for an answer. So the king sends another delegation. And this time it's a more prestigious one. It's, it's one bringing great riches and offering great riches and you know, reward to Balaam if he will come and help the king. And Balaam wants to go. Balaam sees the riches, Balaam sees what they have, and Balaam wants to go. He wants the reward. And so God allows him to go. You know, Balaam wanted to go because he lusted after the riches. He desired the material gain. He was greedy. And so he's willing to abandon what God said and follow these men because he wanted the reward. And God allows him to go because God gives him over to his sin. God allows him to get to the end of his sin and, and experience the consequences of his sin. Now, along the way, Balaam is rebuked by his donkey speaking to him. Okay, I'm sure we know the story. Okay, he's on his donkey, angel appears in the way, his donkey can see the angel, Balaam can't. And the donkey stops and Balaam gets angry at his donkey on three occasions until finally the donkey speaks to him and rebukes him. 
It's then that he sees the angel. You know, Balaam, despite knowing clearly that what he's doing is sin, clearly it's not God's will, doesn't turn back. Read in verse 34. Numbers 22, verse 34. It says, And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displease thee, I will get me back again. And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men. But only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that shalt thou speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now it seems here that in verse 35, God gives him, you know, get, says to him, okay, go with them. That's not the point here. As Balaam says, I, don't, you know, I didn't know you didn't want me to do this. I'll go back if you don't want me to go. The point is he's not really saying that. He's saying the words, but in his heart, Balaam still wants to go. Balaam still wants the reward. He still wants what's on offer. And so God allows him to go. God says, right, I go with them, but you'll only speak what I want you to speak. God allows him to have what his sinful heart desires. And after meeting with the king, Balaam then attempts to curse Israel, what he was clearly told not to do. Balaam attempts to curse Israel. You know, each time he opens his mouth, God turns his words into blessings. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 4 it says because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth Egypt and because they hired against thee Balaam the son of Beor of Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse thee nevertheless the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee because the Lord thy God loved thee. You know, Deuteronomy describes the result. As he tries to curse Israel, God turns his words into blessings upon Israel. And so when Balaam sees that he can't curse Israel, he decides that instead he'll bring Israel into a curse. He'll lead them into a curse or bring them under a curse. And he does this by advising Balak on how to lead Israel into sin. He tells Balak to to lead Israel into fornication and idolatry. And he says, if you do that, God will curse Israel. And so the king, at the advice of Balaam, does just that. He sends his young women into the camp to commit adultery, immorality with the men of Israel, and lead them to idolatry. And God, in turn, curses Israel. And Israel suffers a plague, and 24,000 men die because of this plague. The point is, Balaam was guilty of being driven by the sin of greed and he was also guilty of deliberately leading others into sin. You see, Balaam knew the will of God. Balaam is a prophet of God. He knows God's will. He's in contact with God. He's speaking to God. God's speaking to him. This was not an accidental straying from the truth. This was a deliberate departing from the truth, from God's will, for the sake of material gain for the sake of reward. And here Jude says that these apostates follow in the error of Balaam. These apostates are like Balaam in that they are driven by material gain. They are driven by their greed. You see, these men are more than willing to set aside the truth if it means that they will be prosperous. 
They'll set aside the truth if it means more material gain for them, more material possessions, more success. They will set aside the truth. You know, the word here where it's translated in Jude 11, ran bitterly, this word is, is actually the idea of being poured out or to break forth. And so it's the picture of excessive indulgence. And the idea is that these men without restraint rush after every course of life that promises them material gain. Material gain is their sole motivation in their lives. Greed, covetousness, the desire for possessions and wealth. That's what motivates these men. And these men also, like Balaam, are willing to disregard the truth to gain that material possession. You know, as I thought about it, you know, it's not just apostates and false teachers who can be guilty of this sin, is it? Not just apostates and false teachers can be guilty of following in the sin of Balaam. See, even us as true believers can be motivated by greed. As true believers, we can become consumed by the love of money. Paul speaks about this in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy 6 verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know, Paul puts it clearly, doesn't he? He says, The love of money is the root of all evil, and it leads men to err from the faith. And so as believers, we can indeed be consumed by the love of money, and we ourselves can err from the faith. We can be guilty of this same sin, the sin of Balaam, where we allowed, allow money, greed, covetousness to be the, the determining factor in our lives, the thing that governs our lives. So much so that we disregard the truth, disregard God's will for our lives. Now, we as believers need to be careful that we are not guilty of this sin, particularly in a materialistic age. I mean, that's what we live in, isn't it? A materialistic age is where we live. And it is easy for us as believers to become consumed by materialism, the love of money. So much so that we ignore God's will and ignore the truth to gain that material possession. We as believers need to be careful. We are not guilty of this same sin. You know, not only are these apostates motivated by greed, but also, like Balaam, these men lead others into sin. These men lead others down the path of sin and unrighteousness. You know, we've seen this before. In verse 8 of Jude, it says, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. If you remember when we looked at that verse where it says defile the flesh, it's not talking about just their own flesh, it's defiling all flesh. It's defiling others around them. The point is, these men corrupt others by their false doctrine. They lead others into sin and they deliberately do it. They have no qualms about preaching false doctrine. Again, because they're motivated by material gain, by covetousness and greed. So these men follow in the error of Balaam. And further, we are told that they follow the gainsaying of Kor. Verse 11 again, it says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying 
of Kor. Not only they followed Cain and Balaam, but they also are said to have followed Kor. And it says they have perished in the gainsaying of Kor. The idea of this is that they will perish when he says perish. He's saying it's a definite. They will perish as Kor perished for his gainsaying, for his rebellion. Now, if you're wondering who Kor is, Kor is simply the Greek for Korah. And Korah, of course, is recorded for us in Numbers chapter 16. You can turn over there. We're not going to read all of it, but we will read some of the verses there. <clears throat> Numbers 16. Nothing serious that Korah is a Levite. Okay, he's a prominent man in Israel. And Korah decides that you know, he like the leadership. He doesn't like the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And so Korah and his followers come to Moses and Aaron and they question their leadership. If you look in verse 3 of chapter 16, it says, And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. These men resented the authority that God had given to Moses and Aaron. They didn't like it. He didn't like the fact that Moses and Aaron were the appointed leaders of God. They thought, hang on a minute, we're all the same. We're all the children of God. Why do you have more authority than us? They resented this. And so they come questioning Moses and Aaron's leadership. And in response to this questioning, Moses proposed a test. He says, all right, let's both come before the Lord with senses and incense and we'll burn our incense before God and let God decide who he wants to represent him. Let God choose who his leaders are in Israel. And so they come before the Lord and as they do, God tells Moses and Aaron, he says, separate yourselves from Korah and his followers. And the reason God does this is because God says, I'm going to consume them. That's exactly what the Lord does. In chapter 16, verse 32, we read this, starting verse 31, it says, And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. And so God opens up the earth underneath all those who sided with Korah. And all their possessions, all their tents, everything is swallowed up by this great chasm that God opens up. And then the Lord sends fire out as well to consume Korah and those who offered incense with him. Look in verse 35. It says, And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. And so God opens up the earth to swallow those who followed him. And then he sends out fire to consume Korah himself and those who offered incense with him. So the point is, Korah and his followers perished because of their rebellion, their gainsaying. You know, Korah's sin was the rejection of God's ordained leadership. You know, Korah was a Levite, yes. But Korah was not of the priestly line. He was not of the family of Aaron. And so he had no right to be offering incense before the Lord. That was not his job. That was not his ministry. That was not his role. 
You know, Korah had his own sphere of ministry to perform. But he wasn't content with that. He wasn't content with where God had him. He wanted more. Korah wanted the ministry and authority of Moses. Korah wanted the priestly office of Aaron. You see, he wanted things that didn't belong to him, that were not given to him by God. He rejected and despised God's appointed leaders. And by doing so, he rejected and despised God. That's who he was speaking against. And so God judged him and his followers. They were consumed. They perished. You know, Jude tells us here that these apostates are also guilty of the gainsaying of Korah. In other words, these apostates, like Korah and his followers, openly resist and rebel against authority. They have no respect for those that God has put in a position of authority. In fact, they want that position of authority for themselves. They desire to have it themselves. We have a clear example of this in 3 John. We looked at it when we preached on 3 John. <clears throat> 3 John, look in verse 9. It says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. You see, Diotrephes here is said to have loved to have the preeminence. You see, this man is a clear example of what we're talking about here. In the example of Korah, the gainsaying of Korah. You see, Diotrephes desired to have authority and a position that did not belong to him, was not given to him by Almighty God. So much so that he despised and rejected those that God had put in a position of authority. He despised and rejected the Apostle John. Someone who was clearly put in a position of authority by God himself. And that's the attitude that Jude is speaking about here when he says they perish in the gainsaying of Kor. You see, these apostates have a complete lack of respect for those in position of authority. Whether that is within the church or within civil government, it's a lack of respect for authority that we're talking about here. You know, we saw this same attitude in verse 8 where it says that they despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. It's this same attitude, this lack of respect for authority, rejection of God's authority, rejection of God's appointed leaders over them. You see, these men have no respect for those that God has put above them. And indeed, they either have that authority for themselves. And because of this, Jude says that like Korah, these men will perish. God will deal with them. You know, once again, there is a warning here for all believers, is there not? Because once again, we can all be guilty of the sin of Korah. We can all be guilty of not being content with what God has entrusted us with. Not being content with the sphere of ministry that God has put us in. And so we seek to have something that doesn't belong to us. We seek to aspire to something that God doesn't want us to have. You know, we can be also guilty of undermining those that God has put above us. Having a lack of, a th uh, lack of respect, sorry, for those that God has put in a position of leadership. 
Titus chapter 3. Let's turn over there. <coughs> Titus chapter 3 verse 1 tells us, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be not, no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. You know, it says that we are to be subject to princes, powers, to obey magistrates. We are to speak evil of no man. This is how we as believers are to act. We are to respect authority. Whether that is within the church or outside of the church, doesn't matter. We as believers are to respect authority. Respect those that God has set above us. God appointed leaders. We should not be guilty of the sin of Korah. We should not follow the example of this man in having a lack of respect for God as the asset and authority above us. Now Jude began this verse by exclaiming, Woe unto them. Woe unto them. Now as we said, this was because Jude knew what was in store for these apostates. He knew this because they followed the example of Cain, of Balaam, and of Korah. Like Cain, these apostates teach an empty, dead religion and they persecute the righteous. Like Balaam, they are motivated by greed and covetousness and they lead others into sin. And finally, like Korah, they have no respect for God's appointed leaders. They reject those in authority above them. You know, while this verse teaches and focuses on apostates and the example they follow, there is still a warning for us today. You know, we as believers need to make sure that our worship is not dead. That our worship is indeed, by faith, it's not empty, it's not in vain. But rather that it is according to the truth, it is by faith. We need to make sure that we don't allow ourselves to become consumed by greed. So much so that we're motivated by it at the expense of the truth. And we also need to make sure that we as believers respect those that God has set above us. And be content with the sphere of ministry that God has given us to serve Him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for the book of Jude and the instruction it gives concerning apostates, Lord, these false teachers. And Lord, indeed, they are all around us, Lord, and they increase and approach the return of our Lord and Saviour. Lord, I pray that as believers we would take notice of these things, that we would be aware and alert, Lord, of these false teachers. And Lord, also I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to not follow in the example of these Old Testament men, but Lord, instead follow the example of Christ, our Saviour, and be humble servants, Lord, obeying you. You must remember these truths as we go forth, I pray in Jesus' name.